0: word of God spells out his truth. and The whole book of Hebrews is focused upon the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ is superior. And God is saying to his people now you know the truth. You know it. Now if you still choose to willfully sin you need to be accountable for what you know. You are without excuse. And therefore, you've got the little statement there at the end of verse 26, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. If you choose to deliberately sin against truth that you know, then you will pay for it. It will not be ignored. It will not be excused. It will be judged. that's what verse 27 is in reference to. But a certain fearful looking for. What do you have to look forward to if you willfully sin against the knowledge that you know? And God spells that in verse 27 of judgment. You will be held accountable. And not only of judgment accountability, fiery indignation. God will judge sin. And then from that basis in verses 28 and 29, God gives us a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he spells out the severity of willfully sinning against the more knowledge that you have. See, we are forgiven in Christ. And we rejoice in that forgiveness. But that forgiveness does not negate the fact that we are held accountable, that there are consequences. Yes, there, are, there is forgiveness, but there is consequences. And when you read of different individuals in the scriptures that violated, clearly violated God's standards, they were held accountable. They were forgiven, but they bore the consequences of their sin. And the classic example of that is King David. King David commits adultery. He confesses his sin. He writes a beautiful psalm reflecting his brokenness, Psalm 51. What a chapter to read and meditate upon. If you're wanting to be uh, truly uh, remorseful and you really want to get right with God when you know you violate his standards, Psalm 51 is a wonderful chapter to meditate upon. So he writes such a classic chapter. But yet God said to King David, the sword would never depart from you. You are forgiven, but there are consequences. And David reaped some horrid consequences, did he not? Right. Some horrid consequences that literally broke his heart time and time again. To the point that even one of his own sons, Absalom, tried to kill him. How would you feel if your son tried to kill you? Horrible thought. And yet he bore the consequences of his sin. Yet he confessed his sin. He was forgiven, but he bore the consequences of his sin. And that's a sobering fact that you and I need to meditate upon. To what end that we will take sin seriously? For God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. Yes, He is a merciful, gracious God, but God is a God of vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is not your right. We think it's our right, but it's God's right because he's holy, otherwise he would not be holy. So God is saying to his people here, you know the truth. Jesus Christ is greater than the prophets. Jesus Christ is greater than the angelic beings. Jesus Christ is even greater than Moses. Aaron. And all of the Levitical priesthood, Jesus Christ is superior. Now, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And God is saying to his people, if you choose to willfully sin against the knowledge that you have, there will be judgment. There will be fiery indignation. Now, he illustrates this from the Old Covenant then he draws a contrast into the New Covenant. Note then verse 28, please. <coughs> he goes back into the Old Testament because these Hebrew believers would have been familiar with the law of Moses. Note then verse 28 He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now, we spelled out this morning that there is no specific sacrifice that a (coughs) Jew could offer to God for willful sin. There is no specific sacrifice that a Jew could offer to remedy or to atone for willful sin. They had to bear the consequences of that willful sin. And God gives us an example of that here or spells out that fact I should say here in verse number 28. He that despised Moses' law, he that did not seriously or take seriously the mandate to obey God's standards. If proven that they have violated God's standards and proven under the law which had to be verified or affirmed by two or three witnesses that person was put to death so if a, if a person within the old covenant the law of moses they willfully violated god's standard if confirmed by two Witnesses, that person was held accountable. And often the sentence was death. An example of that is found in Deuteronomy chapter seventeen. Note then Deuteronomy chapter seventeen. From verses two to seven. God addresses the issue of serving and worshipping other gods because the first and second commandment of the Ten Commandments dealt with the issue that God's people were only to worship the one and true and living God and they were not to make any uh, images of their God or any god for that matter. And note here in verse number 3, And hath gone and served other gods, and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon, or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded. And it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it is true. And then we read on, look at verse number 6. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. Verse 7, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. So thou shalt put the evil away from among you. So God gives us an example of God's people clearly violating God's standards. And that fact has been proven by at least two to three witnesses. And therefore, judgment falls. For one to worship other gods, they were worthy of death within the old economy. Nothing more, nothing less. Because God is a jealous God. He is worthy of our worship. And if one chooses to worship other gods and it's proven that they're worshipping other gods, whether it be the sun or a cow or whatever it might be, then they're worthy of death. So verse number 28 tells us, He that despised or belittles Moses' law died without mercy if proven by two or three witnesses. We read of the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrians as an example of a, a point of no return. When the ten tribes went into captivity, they were obliterated. They lost their national identity. They were never restored to their land. Why? Because they deliberately sinned against God. All of their kings were rotten eggs, as we would say. They were evil and wicked and they continued to lead God's people into wickedness, idolatry and all sorts of wicked sins. And God said, enough is enough. I'm a holy God. And he used the the Assyrian army to come in and obliterated them. God will judge sin. God will judge willful sin. And this is what God is trying to stress to these Hebrew Christians. You know the truth and you have willfully sinned against the truth, you will pay for it. And he uses an example out of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law. But note here in verse number 29, God goes on to say in verse 29, now, God judged sin within the Old Covenant, but more so God will judge you that know the truth concerning the new covenant. Note then verse 29. Or how much sorer punishment. Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. See, the context here is addressing Christians. The writer is not thinking of hell. Hell. Many forms of divine retribution can fall on human life which is worse than immediate death. In fact, Jeremiah made such a complaint about the punishment inflicted (coughs) upon Jerusalem there in Lamentations chapter 4. Go to Lamentations chapter 4. Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter 4. As Jeremiah laments over the destruction of Jerusalem, note here in Lamentations chapter 4 verse number 6, for the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people, this is Jeremiah's complaint, for the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater. Look at this, are you with me? is greater than the punishment of the sin of where? Sodom. God, you've judged my people, your people, more severely than what you judged Sodom. You've burnt them to a crisp like that. but the judgment that you have placed upon my people is more severe, is greater than the punishment of Sodom. Verse 6 goes on to read, That was overthrown as in a moment, and no hand stayed on her. Look at verse 9 they that be slain with a sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. (laughs) A sore punishment is to die of hunger, a slow, painful death, than to just have your head chopped off on the spot. For these pine away stricken through want of the fruits of So many forms of divine retribution, divine judgment can fall upon a human life which is far worse than immediate death. And as we've just read, Jeremiah makes a formal complaint before God about the punishment inflicted upon Jerusalem which was slow and torturous. What about King Saul? His last days were burdened with emotional and mental turmoil, instability of which death would have only would have given him relief. So God is saying back in Hebrews chapter 10 verse number 29 Oh how much sorer punishment suppose ye So, in other words, I judged so within the old covenant. How do you expect me to judge under the new covenant? Where you have more knowledge. Beyond the knowledge of the law, you have the knowledge of the Messiah. You can expect greater judgment. Because much is given, much is required. And then God spells out to us and to these Hebrew Christians why there will be a greater judgment for those under the new covenant, for those of us that are New Testament Christians that know more, not only in knowledge but In experience, we know the God of the new covenant. We know Jesus Christ. We have that forgiveness beyond atonement. We have that communion. We have that presence. Much is given. Much is required. So God judged those that despise the law of Moses without mercy. What sort of punishment? will fall upon those that know more, those of you that know the New Covenant. See, God is dealing with Hebrew Christians that are ready to apostate. They're ready to walk out the door of the Christian church. They can't handle the persecution, maybe. And they decide, I'm going to go back to Judaism and God's saying, be warned. Much is given, much is required you'll be accountable for what you know. And if you become an apostate, if you turn your back on God Almighty, He that has given you life and life more abundantly, if you turn your back, there will be a sore punishment. Why? Well, look at verse 29. How does God view the apostate? How does God view a Christian that turns their back on their God? And I gave you the example this morning of Joshua Harris. Why is there a greater judgment? Well, note here in verse 29, God spells it out. So for these Hebrew Christians to turn their back and to go back into Judaism it will be like, note verse 29, who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. Trodden underfoot the Son of God. The word trodden here means to reject, to Disdain to count of no value to see and pronounce worthless. Worthless. So God is saying, I'm going to judge you more severely if you turn your back on the one that saved you, the one that shed. His blood for you, and died not for His sins, for your sins. It is like you've trodden underfoot the Son of God. You are saying by your actions, by becoming an apostate, that Jesus Christ is worthless. Jesus Christ is of no value. I reject Jesus Christ. That's why there's a sore punishment. The Lord Jesus said in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sin. It's a greater judgment upon those that know the truth and turn their back on the truth. And God tells us there will be a sorer judgment because they have trodden underfoot the Son of God. That's how God sees it. You've counted the Son of God of no longer value. And then he goes on to say, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified And a holy thing. For a New Testament believer to turn their back on the one that saved them, they are saying, Jesus Christ is of no value to me any longer. And then there's also an attack on the blood of Christ. Count of the blood of the covenant the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the precious, spotless blood of Christ without corruption, without defilement, that precious blood that has provided forgiveness, redemption. You are saying it is unclean, it is corrupt, it is defiled. That's how God sees it. You not only despise my son, you despised the blood that was shed to provide forgiveness. The Bible teaches us that the blood of Christ is precious in whom we have redemption through the blood of his son, Ephesians 1.7. And the death angels spared only those that had the blood applied to their door frames there within the book of Exodus. So God is saying, for you that are part of the new covenant, for you that are a Christian, you have greater accountability. If you reject, you turn your back on biblical Christianity, you are saying that Jesus Christ is no longer of value and you are saying that his blood is defiled. It is an unholy thing, the blood of Christ. That's serious stuff. I'm a pastor not saying that. Your actions are saying that. That's what God's saying. Your actions are saying that. If you turn your back on Bible Christianity, your actions are saying the blood of Christ is, is, is unclean. And Jesus Christ doesn't mean anything to me. Then he goes on to say at the end of verse 29 and hath done despite the spirit of grace. Despite. And hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. The word despite there means to resist. Resist, to grieve, to go against. To go against the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us in John chapter 3 that we are born again by the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God that convicts us of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And for a child of God to turn their back on the one that has saved them. They are despising not only Jesus Christ, they are despising his precious blood, but also they're despising the work of the Holy Spirit. They're grieving the Holy Spirit. He who illumines, he who teaches, he who indwells the child of God, he who regenerates us and makes us a child of God. Oh, how much sorrow, punishment, you? What do you think? God is trying to get these Hebrew Christians to think. Think. Under the Old Testament law, you violated the law. Death. But how much sore a punishment for you that now have entered into this new covenant, this relationship with Christ, and you've chosen to turn your back on Him. Well, what do you expect? What do you expect? Then in verse number 30, note verse number 30, it reads for we know him. Oh, Christian, we know him. Oh, but Pastor, I don't know much, but I'm telling you, if you know Christ, you know enough to be held accountable for what you know. And we are held accountable for what we know. We know him. We know what God is like. We see his work within the pages of Scripture. We know that God is holy. We know that God will punish sin. But why is it that we still deliberately sin against God and think that we're going to get away with it? And in verse number 30 goes on to read. Vengeance belongeth unto me. Vengeance belongeth unto me. For we know him. Let me ask you this evening, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe your problem with habitual sin is simply because you don't know him. Now that's not the context this passage of scripture, he's referring to Christians here. Just because he mentions fiery indignation doesn't necessarily mean, it means hell. doesn't say that. Don't read into the Bible what the Bible doesn't say. But you can read judgment. Yes you can. Do you know him? Because there are many that will say I know him, but God will Respond by saying, I don't know you. Matthew chapter 7, please. Yes, could it be that some of these so-called Hebrew Christians were not really Christians? And could it be that some of us that claim to be Christian, we are not really Christians. That's why we are habitually sinning against God. And note here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, the Bible reads, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So not everybody that confesses me will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. So what is our Lord Jesus saying here? He's simply saying there will be some that will stand before God at judgment and will say, well, I've done this for you, I've done this for you, I've done this for you, but Jesus Christ will respond by saying, I don't know you. You're not one of my children. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." So, for one to do God's work that is not a part of God's family, God sees that as iniquity. That's pretty heavy. For we know Him. Let me ask you this same, do you know Him? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Saviour? And here in the book of Hebrews, the context is addressing Christians. They're tempted to apostate, to turn their back on God. Men and women that know God. For we know him that have said, and let's read on in verse number 30 of Hebrews 10, it reads, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. God will pay back sin. Oh yes, as a Christian, I am forgiven. But there are consequences. When we abuse that forgiveness in Christ and we deliberately violate the Word of God, the clear teachings of Scripture, we will bear the consequences. And God is saying, vengeance is mine. We think it is our right to get recompense for when we are wrong. Do we not? Oh, it's my right. That's not right. (coughs) I'm going to take so and so to court. (coughs) We think vengeance is ours. Beloved, read your Bible. To whom belongs vengeance? God. Do we deserve justice? Is justice our right? No. And no. How proud for to think that justice is your right? As if you are fully just. How can we that are not fully just expect justice? That's it that's hypocrisy that's why the Bible teaches us vengeance is mine saith the Lord of course we want justice we want payback we had our church pews reupholstered a number of years ago I got a couple of quotes and one of the quotes I got was unbelievable unbelievably cheap because it was unbelievable. And at the end of the day, they didn't use the material that they told me they would use. I was very upset. Very upset. This is not right. This couple has ripped off the church. It bothered me to no end. So I did something about it. These people are not going to get away with this. I went to the tribunal. This is not right. They ripped off God's house. They gave us such and such material, but they told me they were going to give us this material. I had the experts come in, checked out, confirmed that this was not the material that they told us they'd put on these views. Not right. They need to be judged. They've ripped off the church. So I followed up, took them to the tribunal. At the tribunal, guess who turned up? Me. They didn't turn up. There was me and the judge. I said to the judge, this isn't Right this couple's ripped off the church. We deserve our money back. And she grinned. I said it very nicely. I went to all the effort to go into the city, to go to this tribunal. It cost me almost $80 in parking. Yeah. Oh, what a horrid day it was. (laughs) But at the end of it, she gave authority to tap into that company's bank account and pull the money out. That's ours. Oh, that's great. Justice is going to prevail. The church is going to get their money back. So she gave the authority to get our money back. And how is she possibly going to get our money back? Well, we're going to tap into one of their accounts. So they did. And guess what happened? There was no money in that account. (laughs) I get a note, letter from Sir George, that we were unsuccessful. And I thought to myself, God said, vengeance is mine. God will get them. If not, God already has them. And funny enough, the pews are in pretty good shape. (laughs) The materials lasted. But I wanted revenge. I ripped off the church. How low! God said, Vengeance is mine. And beloved, the end of verse number 30 goes on to read, The Lord shall judge his people. Did you hear that? What don't we understand about that statement? What don't we understand about that statement? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The Lord shall judge his people. And 1 Peter 4, 17, the Bible reads, For the time is come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? God will judge sin. Quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there is forgiveness in Christ, but if you and I willfully sin against God's standards, there is forgiveness, but we will pay. There are consequences. And note in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Context is those that have entertained sin in their lives and have made out before God and God's people that everything's okay. And note the judgment pronounced here in verse number 30 for those that partake at our Lord's table unworthily with unaddressed sin in their lives. Look at verse number 30. For this cause many are what? Let's say it together. Weak. And let's say it together. Among you. And many, let's say it together. Sleep. It's pretty sobering. Many a weak, sickly sleep. So sometimes God chooses to weaken, cause sickness. That doesn't mean that all sickness is because of sin, but at times some sickness is because of sin. And there are times that God will say, Enough! Enough, child of God! You've trodden underfoot the Son of God. You've considered the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. You've worked despite, you've grieved the Spirit of God. Enough. Enough. Going back to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse number 31. This subject is brought to a close. What's the punchline, Pastor? What is God trying to say? Look at verse 31, please. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read it together after two. One. And two, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What God is trying to do for us through his word this evening is trying to put the fear of God within us. We do not want to fall under the severe judgment of God because of willful sin. And as I mentioned this morning, we fear the thought of a car accident, we fear the thought of losing our little wealth, we fear the thought of losing a loved one, being diagnosed with a terminal condition, losing our job. But do we fear God? I mean, do we really fear God? And the Bible teaches us, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. The Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Some of these Christians were on the brink of woeful sin. They knew the truth. They were prepared to turn from the truth. And God is saying, judgment and fiery indignation. And my friend, God is saying to you and I, if we sin deliberately against God, we know the truth, and we deliberately, deliberately, we know what the Bible teaches, God will hold us accountable. we'll bring upon ourselves judgment and fiery indignation. Yes, once saved, always saved. Yes, pastor, there is forgiveness. Praise God for the precious blood of Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, that is our privilege in Christ. If you willfully sin against God, you will pay for it. Not a matter of putting a little band-aid. Sorry, God, I sinned. Band aid. There you go. You happy now? I said I'm sorry. Are you happy now? That's how many of us carry on talk to me, talk to me. It's true, isn't it? We pull out our box of Band-Aids. Oh, sorry God. I blaspheme your name, Band-Aid. God's saying no. You've trodden under. count my blood as unholy. You despise the work of the Spirit of God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. May we take God seriously. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is gracious and patient. But beloved, at the same time, not in place of. God is holy. God is just. God is a God of vengeance. Vengeance is God's right. It is not your right. It is not my right. It is God's right. May this help us and inspire us to take God seriously and to not willfully sin against God. So these Hebrew Christians, many, we don't know how many, but obviously enough to the point where God is concerned and he's saying if you apostate, if you turn your back on your God, He will be judged. There will be fiery indignation. For it's a fearful thing to form the hands of the living God. May God help us to fear God. Not that we're driven by fear God. The love of God should motivate us. But the God that we love, we fear, we respect, And if you're courageous enough to come back next week, we'll we'll move into verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days. And God gives us some principles that will help us to uh, protect us, better word, protect us from (coughs) becoming an apostate. So come back next week. But until then, may God generate within our hearts a fear of God. A fear of God. A holy fear of God. It's a fearful thing to fall to the hands of the living God. May God spare us from deliberately and willfully sinning against His standards. Let's bow for prayer. Well, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand for a moment.